Welcome to the podcast series, episode 39, Signs of Safety, What We Know and What We Need to Know. The podcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This podcast evaluates the signs of safety evidence base. An analysis of the literature and methodology is provided. Signs of Safety, or SOS, is a child welfare practice model that includes tools for assessment of child and family engagement. SOS was developed by Andrew Turnell and Steve Edwards after speaking with child welfare workers in Australia about the tenets of good child welfare practice. The principles underlying SOS include engagement with families and other professionals, a stance of critical inquiry and remaining open-minded, and the idea that families and child welfare workers are the instrument to positive change. Workers are guided to make a distinction between past harm, future danger, complicating factors, strengths, and protection, to use statements focusing on specific observable behaviors, to use their authority skillfully, and to understand that assessment is an ongoing process. The developers of SOS, Turnell and Edwards, have created tools to be used throughout the child welfare process, including assessment and planning, for example, mapping, engagement, that is the three columns tool, scaling question, and engaging children, as in three houses tool. Turnell notes that the SOS approach seeks always to bring together the seeming disjunction between a problem and solution focus within its practice framework by utilizing a comprehensive approach to risk, See Turnell and Edwards 1999 for a full description of the signs of safety approach. This podcast is solely an examination of the SOS evidence base and was conducted by searching peer-reviewed journals and gray literature using key terms such as signs of safety, solution-focused, brief therapy, and child welfare or child protection, in addition to searching for authors who have conducted evaluations on SOS. These papers present a discussion of SOS and the potential or perceived merits, but do not evaluate the effectiveness of the program. This review will focus primarily on a critical analysis of the evaluation literature and how the literature answers the question, how effective is SOS in achieving its intended goals? As noted by California Clearinghouse, the goals of signs of safety are as follows. Reduce rates of child abuse reduce the rates of repeat maltreatment, reduce family disruptions and the number of foster care placements, increase children and family engagement and direct participation in child protection work and decision-making, increase child welfare practitioners' job satisfaction and worker retention, increase practitioner practice depth, that is, practitioners' capacity to think rigorously, make judgments transparently, and hold them with humility, act compassionately and bring all others involved in the matter, lay and professional, with them on this complex journey, and to grow child protection systems and structures that grow such practitioners. Create a shared language, risk assessment, and practice framework and culture across all child protection responses, both statutory and non-statutory, government and non-government, that is also understandable and accessible to families and children since good outcomes for vulnerable children above all depend on good working relationships between families and professionals and between professionals themselves.
evidence-based programs. An important step in answering this research question is matching the research question to the methodology. In order to systematically explore the evidence base, evaluation methodology will be detailed throughout this podcast, and the pros and cons of each evaluation method will be made explicit within the critical analysis of the literature. There are several areas of importance upon making the decision about whether to implement a program. For example, decision makers should plan for the exploration phase, which is focused on understanding the organizational need or problem and identifying how a program or programs can offer a solution. After determining appropriate fit comes the preparation phase, which includes developing an implementation support system and ensuring leadership buy-in. Upon the possibility of program implementation, these areas and more must be carefully considered. Part of this examination is understanding the evidence base. The overarching lesson and examination of the SOS evaluation literature is that the term evidence-based must often be disentangled. SOS is known to be a well-researched model in that many studies have been conducted in various areas where SOS has been implemented and is currently practiced. Although many evaluations have been conducted, the sheer number of evaluations is not necessarily important in understanding the effectiveness of a program. Rather, does the evaluation question match the methodology? Is the purpose of the evaluation explicitly stated? And if you want to know whether the program is effective, does the methodology test the program effectiveness? Every methodology has its place in evaluation and research. All are important. The key factor to consider is whether the evaluation base, or chain of evidence, is sufficient to make a responsible decision that evaluates if the particular program should be implemented, and whether or not it meets the need of the organization and its service users. Upon examination of the SOS literature, there is a gap in knowledge. The methodologies used to evaluate various aspects of SOS do not necessarily match the research questions, and often the knowledge claim exceeds its possibility, given the methodology. For example, the Canadian Incident Study of Child Abuse and Neglect cannot claim a fulsome understanding of children's experiences of maltreatment or the child welfare system, nor can a qualitative study claim to understand factors that predict an outcome in a population. All types of methodology have strengths and limitations. Knowledge claim and methodological limitations are an important piece to understanding a knowledge base and how a program can support the work you do. Methods matter. If we are seeking evaluations to answer a question of effectiveness, we must prioritize studies that employ particular methodologies. A key feature of evidence-informed practice is linking the research question to the methodology. For example, if we want to know about caregiver experiences, then qualitative methodology, such as individual interviews or focus groups, would be most appropriate. However, if we want to know about program effectiveness, then a randomized control trial is preferred. Indeed, evidence-informed practice seeks the best available evidence. However, a lack of rigorous evidence does not automatically imply that a program should be adopted and that it is effective. Rather, the evidence base needs to be built in order to gain a more fulsome understanding of program effectiveness. This development can be done by small-scale implementation or pilot studies. 
Caregivers Caregiver Engagement and Satisfaction There have been several studies evaluating caregiver perspectives and satisfaction in the SOS approach. Two widely cited studies were conducted in Minnesota in the United States, which was one of the first sites of widespread implementation of SOS in North America. Skripik, Izelis, and Pakora conducted an evaluation of parents' experiences with SOS using semi-structured interviews. A total of 137 caregivers qualified for inclusion in the evaluation, and approximately 100 were invited to participate, of which 42% consented to contact by the evaluators. A further six caregivers were excluded because of recall issues, which resulted in 36 eligible caregivers. A final total of 24 caregivers participated in the study. In a telephone interview, caregivers were asked about initial engagement with their child welfare worker, the relationship with their worker, key elements of SOS, the outcome of the case, and their feelings about the future. Themes across interviews suggest participating caregivers felt their child welfare worker engaged them in the child welfare process and kept an open mind. Most caregivers spoke about the relationship with their worker being positive, as the workers were fair, respectful, or friendly. However, authors note that half described their worker in more mixed terms, and just a few were particularly critical, citing a judgmental attitude or a failure on the part of the worker to obtain the full picture about the case. Almost all, 23 of 24, of the caregivers indicated participation in the safety planning process also known as mapping, and all caregivers who were asked indicated that their worker helped them identify a safety network. When asked about participation of the child or children, 39% said that the child's point of view was included. Age was cited as a reason for non-inclusion in some of the cases when children were not consulted. Fifteen parents were asked about hope for their family's future, resulting in ten families who said, that their work with their child protection worker had in fact given them hope that things would get better for them in terms of keeping their child safe. Lastly, researchers evaluated tone of caregivers. By examining caregivers' description of their worker, relationship, and overall feelings about the experience, and then categorized tone as positive, mixed, neutral, or negative. Authors indicate that nine parents' perceived experience improved seven remained positive, four remained mixed or neutral, and four worsened. Authors suggest future research to possibly assess the relationship between level of exposure to signs of safety, also known as dosage, including a comparison group with no exposure, and parent satisfaction and positive family outcomes, or a randomized control trial. Limitations noted by the authors include a homogeneous, primarily white, group of participants, limiting the study to counties in Minnesota, which has implemented several changes within a decade of the study, selection bias, unknown variability of SOS implementation across counties, and the lack of clarity, explained as a confusion between whether the practice being described by a parent is emblematic of the signs of safety framework or simply reflects good social work practice in general and the skills or qualities of the individual worker. Methods matter. Selection bias is a sampling bias, whereby participants are not randomized, resulting in the participants not being representative of the wider population. 
Therefore, we cannot generalize findings of a study that is limited because of selection bias. As part of a pilot evaluation in four Minnesota counties, Nelson Dusick and Azelis Roth invited 40 caregivers to participate in telephone interviews after case closure. 26 caregivers, 65% response rate, completed an interview at three months after closure and 19 caregivers at nine months. In addition, 32 safety network members were interviewed and included in the analyses. Authors focused on three research questions. One, to what extent are safety plans and safety networks developed within an SOS framework used by families in child protection after their case has closed? Two, what factors contribute to the activation of a safety plan and or safety network after the case has closed? Three, does the presence of a safety plan or network at case closure prevent future child protection re-reports? Are families who use their safety plans or networks after their case has closed less likely to have a re-report? Most caregivers and safety network members indicated a successful safety planning process. Caregivers noted feeling power in the process and being respected by the caseworker. Caregivers who experienced the process negatively cited a lack of communication from their caseworker or feeling forced into choosing network members. Caregivers felt discomfort with the planning process, but believed it helped them refocus, evaluate their priorities, and keep their children safe. Engaging in the safety planning process eased caregivers' struggle in asking for support or help from their network or worker. When asked about their safety plan, most caregivers placed a greater emphasis on their safety network versus the safety plan. Almost all parents had used their safety network yet approximately half used the safety plan nine months after case closure. Upon analysis of caregivers' use of their safety network, authors revealed that using the safety network varied from helping with day-to-day -day needs or talking with family and friends when support was required. Approximately half of the caregivers indicated they used their network on a daily basis, and the other half would use the network only in a crisis situation. Discussion around the safety plan revealed that the safety plan was seen primarily as a tool for supporting parents, which would indirectly keep the children safe. Thus, many network members indicated their role was passive and that they would keep an eye out or become involved if the caregiver were to initiate contact. At the nine-month interview, caregivers indicated their reliance on the safety plan waned. This decreased reliance was due to being in a more stable situation knowing their friends and family were available if required, and geographic distance between caregivers and safety network supports. Authors note limitations include limited sample size, variability across counties, and a lack of generalizability of findings because of homogeneous group of participants, primarily white and female, and location of the study. In 2007, Turnell, Elliott, and Hogg present a case study to offer SOS as an effective tool for use with biological parents of adopted children. Authors argue the practice utilized within this case example exemplifies rigorous, compassionate, and participatory practice, which cannot simply be mandated in organizational procedures or implemented through the prediction of a particular tool or model. The practices demonstrated point to the importance of fostering skillful frontline practitioners within rigorous and collaborative work environments. While it is important to evaluate programs using different methodology, 
it is not possible to use a case study and apply findings to the wider population. Case studies provide in-depth understanding about one specific situation or environment and offer possible direction for future research, evaluation, or theoretical model development. Limitations include a lack of ability to generalize and difficulty in replicating. Therefore, any knowledge claim about the wider population or use of SOS is not supported by the current evidence. A study conducted in Manitoba used mixed methods to evaluate several aspects of their difference response, DR, Family Enhancement, FE, project, which also included the incorporation of SOS. Caregivers were invited to participate in a telephone interview. Fifty caregivers were asked if the supports provided by the DR project helped before things in their family got really bad. While just under half reported not at all true, many responded that things had already gotten bad before child welfare got involved. Over half of the caregivers indicated they would suggest another family call their worker for help if needed. The author used statistical analyses to explore the relationship between various factors and caregiver satisfaction. Initial analyses indicate that caregivers' average helpfulness score of services, number of services that the caregiver identified they had received, and the caregiver-assessed strength-based practice were all significantly and positively correlated with caregiver satisfaction with child welfare services. Regression results indicate that the level of caregiver-assessed strength-based practice was the only variable that significantly predicted caregiver satisfaction with child welfare services. Limitations to this analysis include a small sample size, thus findings should be interpreted with caution. Further, it is difficult to understand the context of strength-based practice within a study evaluating the effect of SOS, differential response, and or family enhancement when the concepts are not necessarily clearly defined or measured separately, and all of which may incorporate some aspects of strengths-based practice. Methods matter. Regression is a type of statistical analysis that estimates the relationship between variables. Regression analyses reveal how the value of one variable, dependent, changes when any other variables, independent, are varied. There are different types of regression, for example, general linear or logistic, depending on the nature of the variables. For example, categorical, continuous, or binary. In Canada, nine caregivers were asked about the assistance they received from the assigned child welfare workers using the SOS model. In general, caregivers rated the service from their workers positively. Qualitative feedback indicated that half of the caregivers interviewed indicated that their most recent experience was better than before due to a superior worker, whereas the other half indicated their experience was similar to a previous experience with the organization. In 2013, Bunn undertook an evaluation of signs of safety model and solution-focused brief therapy in England. Surveys were sent to 153 local authorities in England with a child welfare response rate of 44%. Over half of the authorities were either interested in using SOS or had team members trained up in the use of signs of safety, and some were solely using solution-focused brief therapy. Child welfare workers were asked about their experiences with caregivers' response and perception of SOS. 
workers perceived SOS meetings to decrease anxiety and relax caregivers and resulted in caregivers feeling heard. Workers also believed SOS increased caregiver participation, cooperation, and engagement, and that caregivers liked hearing about different perspectives and understanding what is expected of them. Lastly, workers felt that caregivers liked hearing about their strengths versus only problems, and they were more willing to accept the presence of risks if identified by themselves or from someone within their network. When asked about the SOS tools, workers were either aware of the tools, had used the tools, or knew of workers who used them, and felt that the tools improved open communication and families. Workers reported feeling SOS as a supportive method of creating strong relationships with caregivers, thus increasing engagement, cooperation, reduced conflict, and so they would be more willing to work towards goals and objectives. Lastly, workers felt that using SOS means that action and change is more likely to happen, using specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely goals to increase safety to children. Authors note limitations of the evaluation include a low response rate and that individuals who completed the survey may not know the exact manner in which signs of safety is being utilized in practice across different areas of local authorities. Thus, the information presented in the report is exploratory in nature. Knowledge Analysis Authors note several methodological limitations in the aforementioned evaluations. Limitations are an important part of the application of research to practice and policy and understanding what is known and what still needs to be known. Indeed, all research and evaluations have limitations, some more limiting than others. Although authors note limitations due to sample size, lack of clarity around SOS versus good social work practice, or homogeneity of sample, another fundamental limitation is generalizability. One cannot generalize the findings of qualitative methodology. Qualitative methodology is important in providing information about the experiences, perceptions, and understanding of participants. However, no matter the sample size or sample characteristics, you cannot generalize findings to the wider population. Therefore, although these studies have begun to build a knowledge base around caregiver satisfaction with SOS and engagement with their worker, to understand the wider implications of SOS, studies detailing SOS practice goals linked with the appropriate methodology are required. Another important limitation to note is a measurement issue. In many cases, child welfare workers are asked about their client's response to SOS. While it is important to understand various perspectives, this should not be the only way to measure perception in an evaluation, as this method will not necessarily offer the most valid information. For example, if a researcher asked doctors about their practice and its effectiveness, how would their response measure against their patient's response? Perception is subjective, and we all experience situations and environments differently which is why data triangulation is a strong method of evaluating effect of a program. Data triangulation refers to collecting data measuring the same concept from different groups of people, for example, both workers and caregivers. This method supports how accurately a concept is being measured, or validity. Child Welfare Dispositions 
In 2013, a large SOS evaluation took place in Carver and Olmsted County in Minnesota. Authors used administrative data to examine the number of placements and re-entering placements, re-reports, and reopenings over several years. These indicators were chosen as they reflect the outcome areas most likely to show change as a result of SOS implementation, according to program developer Andrew Turnell, and those with a clear expected direction and rationale for change. Out-of-home placements. The out-of-home placement rate for Carver and Olmsted counties have varied over the past decade. Authors indicate the rate of out-of-home placement has decreased in both counties and is lower than the overall state rate since signs of safety implementation, such that the rate of placement has decreased since 2005, changed from 17 to 5% in Carver County and 4 to 1% in Olmsted County. With this dramatic change, authors suggest that signs of safety may be resulting in fewer out-of-home placements for new cases. However, placement rates have increased in both Carver and Olmsted County since 2010, 9% and 6% respectively in 2011. Most importantly, as noted by the authors, confounding factors may come into play, and these changes in placement rates cannot solely be attributed to SOS, given this evaluation methodology. Methods matter. Confounding factors, or confounding variables, are variables other than an independent variable, for example, signs of safety, that may affect the dependent variable, for example, placement rate. Confounding factors may lead to flawed conclusions about the relationship between the independent and dependent variables, for example, the relationship between signs of safety and placement rate. Randomizing, matching groups, or statistical control deals with confounding variables. Otherwise, it is impossible to distinguish whether confounding factors are playing a role. In the situation of the aforementioned SOS evaluations, the sample was not randomized, there was only one group measured, therefore it was not matched. Thus, we cannot conclude that SOS had any particular effect on the placement rate, due to the possibility of confounding factors. For example, the U.S. financial crisis in September 2008 may have had an impact on the economic well-being of communities and citizens as the unemployment rate rose from 5 to 10 percent and the average housing price dropped 30 percent. Economic breakdowns have the potential to impact out-of-home placement rates, given that research illustrates a link between out-of-home placement and poverty. It is not clear in this situation whether economics is a confounding factor or whether it works with SOS, as SOS may have been implemented during strong economic times. Nonetheless, adding context to the analysis of this evaluation offers further possible explanations for changes in child welfare dispositions, for example, out-of-home placement rate or re-report rate. This context is especially important to consider when the evaluation methodology cannot answer the question of whether SOS is effective at reaching its goals. Thus, the knowledge claim that signs of safety may be resulting in fewer out-of-home placements for new cases is overstating the knowledge claim given the evaluation methodology. Substantiation, re-reports, and reopenings. The Olmsted and Carver County re-report and reopening for services within six months of case closure rates have varied between 2005 and 2011. 
Both counties saw a decline in re-reports from 2005 to 2006 and have since risen in 2009. There has been a decline in reopening for services rates since 2009 in Carver County only. Again, there must be a consideration of context and the potential of confounding variables when examining the re-report and reopening for services rates in Carver and Olmsted counties, especially without a comparison group. For example, the household median income is almost 30% higher in Carver County and the re-report and reopening rates are lower in Carver County versus Olmsted. This is consistent with literature suggesting that recurrence is linked with poverty and may have an influence on service rates. This is an example of poverty potentially acting as a confounding factor. A large Canadian child welfare organization evaluated the SOS mapping process, whereby cases that were mapped were compared with non-mapped cases. Cases were not randomly selected to be mapped, rather families that had numerous openings and complex issues were brought to the mapping process at request of the investigating child welfare worker or supervisor. The goal of the mapping process was to reduce the number of reopenings and to better understand the context of the families' lives. Results indicate that mapped cases were significantly more likely to be substantiated and transferred to ongoing services and 94% remained closed within one year of the mapping conference date. Although the non-mapped cases were chosen because the reason for service matched the reason for service of mapped cases, the two groups differed significantly in number of previous openings. While there were significant differences between the two groups, the methodology, including small sample size, and significant differences between the two groups limits the ability to generalize findings to the wider population. Nelson Dusek and Adzelis Roth examine the extent to which the presence of safety plans and safety networks prevent future re-reports to child protection. In 2015, they examined re-report data for 24 of the 26 parents who completed interviews. There were no re-reports six months post-closure and three re-reports within 12 months after closure. Authors note this rate is lower than overall Minnesota rates. Further analyses included authors categorizing caregivers into high-plan users and low-plan users. Authors report that of the three re-reports at 12-month case closure, two were low-plan users and one high-user. Authors note that given the small sample and re-report rate, it is not possible to draw conclusions about the relationship between re-reports and plan or network usage. However, these findings suggest that as a whole, parents involved in the study, all of whom had established safety plans and networks using a signs of safety framework, were less likely to have a re-report six or 12 months later relative to parents across the state overall. Further caution must be drawn to making any assumption about attributing the rate of re-report solely to signs of safety, as well as generalizing conclusions to the wider population given the methodology and that this conclusion is based on a sample of three caregivers. Knowledge Analysis There are some important evaluations of the SOS model, which serve as a base for future evaluations. However, to fully understand the impact of SOS, evaluations with more rigorous methodology are required. Limitations of the aforementioned studies prohibit concluding that SOS plays a key role in decreasing out-of-home placement rates, recurrence rates, or reopening rates.
Authors note that while Carver County claims a complete adoption of the SOS model, Olmsted reports employing a modified version that incorporates key SOS elements into their own unique practice model. Further, although some trends are encouraging, readers are cautioned against drawing firm conclusions about the direct relationship between SOS and the outcomes presented. Even in Carver County, where SOS has been adopted agency-wide, other confounding variables exist. In particular, Minnesota has recently adopted a strengths-based, family-centered practice model that includes many elements similar to those included in SOS. The study time period corresponds with the full operationalization of alternative response, which also has practice components that overlap with the SOS model. Many outcomes are improving statewide as well as in the counties that have not yet implemented SOS, perhaps as a result of these other practice changes. Child and Youth Engagement There is a gap in the literature about the role of SOS and engagement with children and youth. One case example connected the use of narrative therapy to engage a youth who exhibited sexualized behavior towards a child and SOS. The author offers SOS as a strength-based strategy to engage the youth in order to develop a safety network. While it is important to understand how SOS can be applied across different situations, case examples cannot generalize and cannot claim that this approach will be effective on a wider scale. Given that SOS is intended to increase safety for children, future evaluations need to focus in on children and how they are impacted by workers utilizing the SOS model. Child Welfare Workers Perspectives on SOS and Training Evaluations As part of the Signs of Safety in England evaluation, 12 newly trained child welfare workers were asked about their training experiences. Training experiences in terms of length of training, between one and two days, and type of training, for example in class or reading books independently, differed among participants. Most participants indicated it took time to become confident in applying SOS to their work, there was high demand for additional training, and observation of SOS in practice was an important piece to successfully implementing SOS from an individual perspective. Participants expressed the need for supervisory and organizational support in the implementation of SOS, and that SOS was often used as a supervisory tool when discussing casework. Participants also believed SOS was advantageous in its ability to draw practice links with other organizations where SOS was being used. When asked about disadvantages of SOS, logistics were identified. The coordination of meetings and recording information, for example, in the mapping process, originally noted on a whiteboard was not a smooth process. Additionally, participants noted coordination and conducting meetings using SOS takes a great deal of time. When thinking about caregivers or stakeholders, participants indicated there was tension when people did not show up as expected to scheduled meetings. Also, participants noted caregivers must be thoroughly prepared in order to increase the chances of a successful meeting. Lastly, workers suggested budgeting, for example money for whiteboards, must be thoroughly considered in order to successfully implement SOS. Ten workers in Manitoba were asked about their job satisfaction and reported feeling supported by their team and working well with colleagues. 
They enjoyed work and supporting the families they serve. Additionally, seven workers were confident that by using SOS, their actions were the right ones for the families they were working with. An important methodological note in this evaluation is the implementation of several interventions at the same time, as difference response, family enhancement were concurrently implemented with signs of safety. Because there was no control group, it is impossible to determine whether confounding factors influenced responses. Additionally, the sample size was very low, thus findings cannot be generalized to the wider population. In Canada, two focus groups, including 13 child welfare participants, revealed workers felt the mapping process was a good way to engage families who had a history with child welfare. Further, the mapping process and identification of family strengths helped families move forward versus constantly revisiting the past. Recommendations to improve the mapping process included a full shift in practice and to incorporate SOS in all child welfare work and to include families in the mapping conference. Given the evaluation methodology, findings are the views of the participants only and cannot be generalized to the wider population, and perceptions were those of workers only versus multiple stakeholders, for example, caregivers or safety network members. Researchers in California assessed the knowledge and satisfaction of 40 child welfare workers in Davis during a three-day SOS and Structured Decision-Making SDM, training. Trainees were asked about their SOS knowledge and perceived benefits of integrating SOS and SDM into practice, as well as their overall impressions at three time points, before training, at six-month follow-up, and at 12-month follow-up. Trainee perceived knowledge of SOS increased significantly from pre- to post-test. Trainees were asked about nine areas and whether they never heard of, heard of, know well enough to begin using, know enough to use, or know well enough to teach each area. Additionally, the majority of participants agreed or completely agreed that SOS mapping would help them talk with families about risk, safety planning, reunification, writing danger statements, improving parental understanding of case plans, talking with families during meetings, and talking with colleagues about family risk, safety, and strengths as part of case transfers. A similar evaluation took place in a one-day training in Sacramento, whereby 164 workers were asked the same questions as the three-day training participants. Self-perceived knowledge of SOS, again, increased significantly from pre- to post-test in all areas. However, there was much less agreement from trainees in their perception of the helpfulness of SOS in their practice when compared with the trainees who attended the three-day training. Lastly, results of the evaluation of a three-day training in San Diego indicate that knowledge of SOS increased significantly and that the majority of the 44 participants felt that SOS would help them in their child welfare practice. Evaluation findings suggest that perceived knowledge increased significantly from pre- to post-test, whether trainees attended the one- or three-day training. However, beliefs about the value of SOS were more pronounced for trainees who attended the three-day versus the one-day training. This observation cannot be generalized to future SOS trainees. Another important note is about the perception of knowledge. Measuring one's perception of knowledge is important, yet further measurement may be required. Indeed, it is well known that one's perception may not match actual knowledge, and that knowledge does not necessarily translate into effective skill. 
Implementation There is a current trend towards evaluating the implementation of signs of safety. In 2015, Salveron and colleagues described the implementation of SOS in Western Australia and highlighted the importance of organizational change strategies when endeavoring such a large-scale transformation. Authors employed qualitative methodology using an implementation science theoretical lens to guide discussion. This paper is descriptive, primarily a case example of the various factors that are required in organizational change. A Canadian evaluation focused on a three-pronged SOS training. Part 1 included Introduction to Signs of Safety. Part 2 included two-day training for child welfare workers and Part 3 included three-day training for child welfare supervisors. The majority of Part 1 and 2 training respondents rated most areas of questioning, either as good, very good, or excellent. For example, the likelihood that I will apply the course learning to my work, the workshop exercises stimulated learning and encouraged discussion and questions. A focus group of five child welfare workers were asked about implementation and impact of SOS within their organization. Participants expressed improved parent experiences through partnership, increased worker satisfaction, improved practice and risk assessment, usefulness in SOS tools, the notion that SOS requires extra time, and that SOS is not fully supported in the organization. In a focus group comprised of supervisors, participants noted caregivers had improved experiences, staff were more satisfied with their job, children were involved in the process, and SOS tools were useful but that there was no time for SOS. A better implementation strategy was needed and resistance from staff about the implementation of SOS was evident. There is a gap in the implementation literature as studies failed to provide a strong practice definition. Signs of safety developed because of a need for a structured and systematic approach to child welfare. However, it is clear from the literature that SOS is implemented and used differently across jurisdictions and organizations, contradicting its original intent. Because the practice of SOS is not well defined, evaluations lacking a control group tell us little about program effectiveness, as practice looks different between people and organizations. Turnell notes that there is no single prescribed right way to apply the approach. Each time a child protection worker uses the signs of safety model in the field and then describes his or her endeavors, the approach continues to evolve. While this is an important feature of promoting effectiveness and applicability for individual families, it lacks a strong sense of what SOS actually is and how it is applied in practice. Because of this lack of a clear definition, the focus on fidelity becomes a moot point. When SOS is administered differently, how and why is there a focus on fidelity? The key to implementation is the degree to which an intervention is delivered as intended and is critical to successful translation of evidence-based interventions into practice. Although it is important to understand fidelity and key implementation strategies and drivers, these focus are under the assumption that a program is effective. Therefore, rather than focusing on implementation, a focus on rigorous evaluations would help build the evidence base and develop a stronger understanding of the areas where SOS is very effective and where it needs to develop further. Methods matter. 
a focus on the systematic implementation of programs, models, and interventions, known as implementation science, is an important part of promoting the likelihood of successful outcomes and a sustained change in practice. There are various implementation science models which place emphasis on drivers of change and identify key areas that must be attended to. However, an important piece to implementation science is understanding the evidence base and having a strong appreciation for what the literature says about a program's effectiveness. Indeed, implementation is important, but one must first understand program effectiveness, then focus on how to implement the program with fidelity and sustain the new way of practice. Conclusion Program or intervention implementation is an important decision, and many factors must be taken into consideration. Understanding the strengths and limitations of the evidence base and corresponding methodology is important when making a decision about choosing an intervention. Therefore, this literature review is intended to describe accessible evaluations of signs of safety, considering methodology. Although there have been several small-scale qualitative and some quantitative studies, few make a connection between research question and methodology. Qualitative methodology is important when aiming to learn about rich experiences and perceptions of individuals. However, we cannot generalize findings to the wider population. Therefore, evaluations that utilize qualitative methodology may be used to develop future research questions, a theoretical model, and gain a more comprehensive understanding of participants' experiences and perceptions. However, these studies cannot be used to suggest that all workers and caregivers feel the same as those involved in the evaluations. Qualitative methodology does not have a sample requirement. Therefore, the inability to generalize is not due to a small sample. Rather, it is due to the type of methodology. A gap in the literature is the lack of randomized control studies. Not one randomized control study focused on SOS could be located in the literature. It has been noted in the literature that randomized control trials are impossible within child protection services, since it is not ethical or professionally responsible to randomly assign cases of child abuse to service and non-service research groups. However, it has been shown that social work practice can be harmful to service users, and that appropriate evaluation of programs and interventions are required. The stance that randomized controlled trials are unethical suggests that one type of methodology is more appropriate than another, versus matching research question to methodology. All methodologies are important and have their place in research and evaluation. The key is understanding when, where, how, and why certain methodologies should be applied. For example, Scared Straight is a program developed to deter youth from criminal justice system involvement and used throughout North America. Youth were, and some still are, enrolled in these programs without consideration of the research. To some, the program may have seemed intuitive and in that youth would be deterred from negative behavior upon being scared by adults already involved with the criminal justice system. However, in a review of the literature with a strict consideration of evaluation methodology, authors concluded that scared straight increases delinquency relative to doing nothing at all to similar youths and that they actually lead to more offending behavior. 
This is a clear example of how social services have the potential to negatively affect the lives of children and families, and that evaluation methodology can and should play a significant role in the development of an intervention and the decision of whether or not to implement. The argument that a randomized controlled trial of SOS is unethical because one group does not receive service suggests that the child welfare system and child welfare workers do not in itself help children or families. While there may be supportive child welfare programs or interventions, there are children and caregivers who are being effectively supported by child welfare services as they are currently structured. Although some argue that a randomized controlled trial is unethical because it does not offer services in a situation where a program may be helpful, many argue that applying a program without knowledge of its effectiveness is unethical. Child welfare deals with the most vulnerable families in society, and we as a field have the responsibility of making informed decisions to support the well-being of our service users. Indeed, not every variable or outcome can be taken into consideration or will be known. However, we must systematically address the strengths and limitations of evidence before making important implementation decisions. A key area that is missing from the literature is the financial cost to the implementation and sustained use of signs of safety. Fiscal responsibility is a critical component to program evaluation and the decision about whether or not to implement a particular intervention. There needs to be an ongoing analysis of the implementation cost of an intervention. However, this has been neglected from the evaluation literature. Critical thinking questions to ask upon program implementation will help support the decision about implementation. Sample critical thinking questions are included in the print format of this podcast, available at parkcanada.org in the Particles Library. Extant literature has consistently sent the message that SOS is evidence-based. However, this claim requires disentanglement. Indeed, there are evaluations measuring workers' perspectives on SOS and the impact on satisfaction, engagement with caregivers, and child welfare dispositions. However, there has been little focus on methodology addressing the question of effectiveness. Evaluations thus far are important and have begun to build the knowledge base. Nonetheless, in order to understand the impact of SOS on child welfare practice, further evaluations are required. The evidence bar needs to be raised in any situation whereby an intervention is being implemented on a wide, organizational, or provincial scale. A lack of empirical knowledge about the effectiveness of a program in no way suggests that it does not work or that it should not be used. Rather, a gap in knowledge simply means that more knowledge is required to fully understand its effectiveness. Pilot evaluations are an important piece to building a knowledge base and should be developed with increasing rigor. The financial and human resource consequences of implementing a program have the potential to be significant. Although fiscal responsibility is important, more important is the well-being of children and families. However, from the literature identified, it is not clear at this point that SOS has an impact on children or families. Although there are several qualitative studies and some quantitative studies, their methodology does not necessarily address the research question or model effectiveness and are tempered with mixed feelings. The child welfare system has a fiscal responsibility to their funding body, but more importantly to the communities and families served by the system. 
In an effort to best serve families and promote well-being of children, the child welfare system is ethically responsible to fully understand on a theoretical, practice, evaluative, and financial perspective the services they are providing to their communities. In the print format of this podcast, you can access an additional section that is aimed at supporting organizations thinking about implementing SOS or currently engaged in implementation of SOS to identify their individual needs and understand how they can ensure their implementation plan will address key areas. No matter the phase an organization identifies with, they must consider the evidence base and work towards building knowledge while addressing system and family needs. To access this additional material, please log in at parkcanada.org and open the Signs of Safety Particle Literature Review found in the Particles Library. You have been listening to the Parkcast series, episode 39, Signs of Safety, What We Know and What We Need to Know. The Parkcast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the Parkcast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org.